broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thanks very much for listening to Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That over there is Carlin. And that who was just speaking is Jordan. And we want to thank you very much for listening to this action-packed superhero episode. Yeah. Today we are going to be looking at one of Carlin's selections. Yes, I chose Avengers. The the Avengers. I'm sorry. The Avengers. There's only one. <laughs> Uh, it is the super uh, hero extravaganza film, if you will, um, bringing all your favorite superheroes together to fight crime. Well, I was going to say crime, but not really crime. I would say uh, galactic intergalactic invasion. Yeah, exactly. So um, one of the main reasons I chose this is to watch uh, Jordan go nuts on it because he is a comic book dude. I am. And so he had commented in the past, I believe, that um, this was a film that he could say a lot about. I could most likely talk about this film for quite a long time. Um, I'm one of those. I'm one of those comic book people. You know, there, there's there's a few different kinds of comic book people. There are those who are really into the superheroes and they they love their superheroes and they think that what's printed on the page is continuity and things like that. Um, and then there are people who are really into the indie stuff and they don't know, you know, they well, they don't, not that they don't know, but they don't really pay much attention to what's going on with the superhero comic books and everything like that. And I kind of fall a little bit more into that category, but I do enjoy the, the Marvel universe quite a bit. Marvel was my introduction to superhero comics. So, you know, like the, um, I was a big fan of, uh, Thor and, and, uh, Hawkeye and, and all of those characters long before Spider-Man is still probably one of my favorite characters overall in the Marvel universe. So I'm actually really excited that the amazing Spider-Man two is coming out the day after my birthday. Oh, so nice. yeah, happy birthday to me. Thank you, Sony. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, which Okay, I'll get I'll get into it later, but um, let let's do our uh, intro stuff short sure. for the film, and then I'll jump into my main ideas. The main ideas. So of course, this is uh, a Marvel Pictures production, which Marvel Pictures is owned by Disney. They also had distribution help from uh, Paramount, if I remember correctly. So there's a little bit of cross pollinization going on there. It was released in 2012. Uh, it was actually one of the few highlights of 2012 for me. <laughs> Bad year. Um, uh, and it was also directed by Joss Whedon. Which us nerds love Joss Whedon, yeah. as everyone knows. Yeah, if you've seen the t-shirt, Joss is my master now, that pretty much describes <laughs> how most people of our persuasion feel about yeah. the, the gentleman known as Mr. Whedon. Uh, so, let's go ahead and read the, the Netflix summary. Um... An all-star lineup of superheroes, including Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, and Captain America, team up to save the world from certain doom. Working under the authority of S.H.I.E.L.D., can our heroes keep the planet at peace? Yeah. Yes. Well, I think everyone knows before they watch the film that yes, they can, because well, that's a superhero. Yeah, I mean, story. watching a superhero's movie where the, the superheroes get their asses handed to them, you don't want to see that, do you? That's not really superhero, it's super zero. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it might be kind of fun to see superheroes get taken down, but that's another. Yeah. That's wh another. When story. do the bad guys get to win? That's my um, question. Uh, Barely ever. 
barely ever. Yeah. Unless you want to, you. It, it, I guess you could say Watchmen actually, if you consider Ozymandias a bad guy, he actually does win at the end of that movie. So. You ruined it for me. Oh, you hadn't seen it. No. Oh. But that's fine. Yeah. Well, sorry. I don't really care. Uh, anyway, moving on. I will say uh, the writer, one of the writers for this, Zach Penn. Yeah. He did. I was looking at films he had done prior and was kind of like, uh, he did the 2008 Hulk movie, he did Elektra, he did uh, X-Men 2 and 3, he also wrote PCU, which was a good one, and Last Action Hero, which is good in its own right, but really a mixed bag of stuff from him, so I was kind of like... X-Men mm. 2 is good, I thought the story behind X-Men 3 was okay, that movie was ruined by editing more oh, than God, anything. Oh god, X-Men 3 was atrocious. It was, it was bad. It and was Elektra really bad. was also atrocious. I never bothered to see Elektra. Yeah, don't. There's uh. a tip for you. Don't. <laughs> um, for Joss Whedon, though, this movie came right after the film that he wrote um, wrote and directed called The Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Which I'm a huge fan of. Loved it. And uh, we'll have to try and do that. Yeah, we'll have podcast. to talk about that. We're, um, we're trying to spread out our horror, horror selections a little yes. bit. Um, but Cabin in the Woods is a fantastic movie. And actually it was uh, Joss Whedon's first opportunity to work with Chris Hemsworth. Yes. Um, which is interesting because the Chris Hemsworth in this movie it's plays Thor. Thor. Yeah. So, um, and there's also a lot of other great actors in the movie. Robert Downey Jr., what more needs to be said about Robert Downey Jr.? He is a phenomenal Iron Man because he is so dickish, but he's a good guy at heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, I, I don't think Robert Downey Jr. is playing too deep into the character. I think this is kind of his own personality just it's, shining through a little that's bit. That's possible. It's like, this is what happens when you do a lot of coke. Yeah. <laughs> You yeah. just become kind of an ass. Chris Evans uh, has uh, had a fairly checkered history with superhero movies previously. He was um, Captain America in the Captain America movie, uh, the first adventure. He was also uh, Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four movies. Which, he did a good job acting that character, but that character is... It was poorly written in that movie. Well, poorly written in just the kind of character that everyone thinks is a douche. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny Storm is a douche. That's the best way to put it. Um, like we mentioned, Chris Hemsworth. Scarlett Johansson also oh. was in this movie. Yep. And uh, yes, she was. I will watch pretty much anything <laughs> Scarlett Johansson is in. Um, she also uh, did kind of similar stuff. It would, I mean, it had some action to it in the movie The Island mm -hmm. with... Um, you and McGregor Ewan as well. McGregor, yeah. Uh, so, kind of similar role in a way. Wasn't that an early Michael Bay film? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. We won't mention my, that. I hate Michael Bay. But yeah. I love Scarlett Johansson and Ewan McGregor. I think Ewan McGregor's awesome. He's very underrated, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Um, but also, she was in The Prestige, mm -hmm. which was a fantastic movie by Nolan. Yet. You've not seen that? No, not yet. Oh, my not goodness. Yet. There's so many movies I have to catch up yeah, on. Yeah, that, that's a great one. Um, she was also, she's done some work, I, was it Match Point that she did with Woody Allen? I believe so. And then she's in the most recent, her most recent work is her with Joaquin Phoenix. Yep. It's, she, it's just voice, all voice. Yeah, that. that's a voice acting job for her in that movie. But she's also done some CDs, um, and uh, she did a Tom Waits cover CD, wow. which was fantastic. And she's also worked with some other people uh, to, to make music. So she's pretty talented there. Um, we also had Jeremy Renner. Who was also recently in the Bourne movies? The Bourne. It's the same 
universe as the Bourne movies, but I think it's a different character. Yeah, was that the Bourne Ultimatum or Legacy? Which one was that? I can't remember. Yeah, I, can't. I didn't actually see it. I only it, watched so. the first Bourne movie. Um, Tom Hiddleston, which... Tom Hiddleston kind of has had... I You could say that his career really blossomed when he took on the role of Loki in the the first Thor movie. And, I agree. And uh, he's just been pushing hard and fast forward. He's recently done a movie with Tilda Swinton where they play Lovestruck vampires. Huh. Yeah. That, that would definitely work for him. Yeah. So that, that hasn't yet been released in the States, uh, but it's... I'm really looking forward to when that comes out. He's a good actor, too. He's I like him good. a lot, especially as a bad guy. Clark Gregg uh, pretty much is Agent Coulson. That's what he's known for, essentially. Uh, he also was in Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing, um, which is a pretty good adaptation of that Shakespearean play. Uh, and he's also currently working on the television show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Which, which I hear is not so hot. It's not very good. Apparently he's the only thing holding the show together. I, Ouch. I I watched the first episode and it's like, yeah, I don't need to watch anything else. Uh, and um, we also have Samuel L. Jackson uh, being badass in this movie. Yeah, I I have I have a love hate with Samuel L. Jackson because when he nails it, he nails it, and he's great. Um, and he has he really has a swagger about him that he brings to characters. Yeah, that's awesome. But at the same time, sometimes he's really phoning things in. And I feel like this film was kind of half and half. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's interesting because he his the character, Nick Fury, is powerful in the other Avenger movies because he typically only shows up for maybe five minutes in the entire movie. So it's a really emotionally packed thing. This movie, it's kind of like there's more for him to do and it just doesn't... There are some lines where it just doesn't seem like he's putting his entire effort into it. Yeah, I um, agree. And but, I'll, talk, I'll talk about something related to that um, after we're done with this sure. section. Um, also, um, the, the, the actor that impressed me the most in this movie, and probably, honestly, the character stole the movie for me in a lot of ways, Mark Ruffalo is the Incredible Hulk. Uh, he's probably, to me, the breakout... breakout performance in this role and he's done other things too um he did a good job but honestly i was still i i think for me robert downey jr as iron man still steals the show yeah and he, he like always will and it's not just because of the way he acts because he's an awesome actor it's because of the way the character's written too it's that combination plus i have a few issues with with the hulk situation in general and we'll talk about that later okay all right, so that's pretty much the actors and uh, what they've been in and, and what they've done in their relationship to the Avengers movie. Um, it's it's considered to be a pretty good cast and uh, and yeah. overall I, I I like all their work and and I uh, think they do a uh, for the most part a pretty good job in this movie. Yeah, I mean this is I've watched this movie two times. Uh, my my biggest complaint about the movie would probably be that it's too long. It's two hours and 40 minutes, I think. Something like that. Um, maybe not quite two hours and 40 minutes, but somewhere around there. And yeah. it's it's just, I mean, that's just long. There's a lot of padding in the movie. Yeah, it, there's a lot of stuff they could have just easily cut out and we would have been a lot better, made a much tighter film. That's my main issue. Well, I think I think one of the big things about the movie overall is that 
and, and I'm going to be harping on this all, all day long uh, <laughs> on this particular podcast. It doesn't hold together well as its own movie. Basically, what they did was for for the four major Avengers that they had, um, Captain America, Thor, and then also by dint of that, Loki, um, and um, Iron Man, and you could argue the Incredible Hulk with the Edward Norton movies, they had already laid out those four characters in other movies. Right. So you had been given an introduction to them. Uh, Iron Man got two movies. Yes. You did. know, uh, Captain America and uh, Thor both had one movie before that. So pretty much all of the character development was done in those movies, and then we're just left to watch them brewed on the on a helicarrier for a couple hours. But one of the problems about it is you kind of don't care enough about Hawkeye as a character because he had he was nowhere right. prior to this film. He was in Thor. He was in the Thor movie. Where? He was the dude hanging upside okay. down from from the um rope when Thor was like running into the maze to get the hammer. You remember for some reason. And he and you don't know it's Hawkeye unless you know the character uses a bow. Okay. Because you don't ever see Jeremy Renner's face. He's starring, he's actually playing the role, but it's a, it's a, he's in the dark, he's hanging upside down from a rope above where Mjolnir is located, and so you don't really know who it is unless you know Marvel, Marvel characters and you know that it's supposed to be Hawkeye. Okay. But there's, there's nothing fleshed out about the character in that film. And and that's my point. Right. At least Black Widow got a little bit in the second, I think it was the second Iron Man film. Yes. Um, so all of them have at least something, and Hawkeye really has nothing coming into it. So, I mean, I could understand why they didn't necessarily do a Hawkeye movie because he's not one of the big names, so it might not have done so well in the theaters, but I don't know. I think... I think... Hawkeye, Hawkeye is one of those interesting characters where he could be a, a major player in the universe, but Clint Barton has not, not been treated well in the comics over the years, so he's not really popular. Um, recently, he's, his character has, something of a, has had something of a renaissance. Um, an act, a writer named Matt Fraction has stepped in and is doing a fantastic job where he's basically an agent for S.H.I.E.L.D., but he also lives in a New York neighborhood. He purchased a, a, a apartment building from a, a really horrible landlord, and he's basically letting all the tenants live there for free. Oh. So, so he's a really cool character, and his, his actual comic book is pretty good. But, I mean, he's not well-known enough. And also, I mean, we've got on television right now the CW's Arrow, which is about Oliver Queen, the, the, the DC's continuity version of the Hawkeye style character of uh, some Robin Hood in 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 uh, the town. So what if you have a Hawkeye movie, it's going to look like it's a copycat of the Green Arrow TV show. This hasn't stopped people from making films before. No, not at all. No, but I mean that's that's just something that I'm sure they're taking into consideration. Yeah, could be. Uh, what but one of the things I want to say about the character of Hawkeye in this is he puts viewers in a tough spot because you want to like him because you know he's Hawkeye and he's supposed to be a good guy. Right. But he's mind controlled 
almost immediately in the film, and he's a bad guy for a lot of it. Yeah. And so that causes, you know, conflicting feelings for the audience about it. They're like, I want to like him, but he's doing terrible things right mm -hmm. now. But it's not his fault because he's being mind controlled. But he is killing good people. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, it, it, it leaves the audience in this position where they don't understand what's going on. Because right. Loki comes in and immediately just starts taking mental hostages. So if you've never seen anything else or if you don't know the continuity, you, you're it just thinking... It seems like out of nowhere. Well, yeah, you're, you're just thinking, well, there's this random agent who likes to shoot things with a bow and... Whatever. Whatever. I mean, he, he looks like a red shirt in this, essentially. Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely does. And on the topic of the red shirts in it, I thought it was insane how, it, in the beginning, you know, they have that whole ordeal going on where, first of all, it's setting it up where it's your typical, oh, there are forces that want to destroy Earth for absolutely no reason. Right. Um, which, I mean, I understand that is the comic book way, typically. Uh, but... Can we get like some legitimate reasons in film? You know what I'm talking about? Like, this this is really truly because we're power hungry. We're going to destroy the whole planet of Earth. Well, but thing, why? Like, there's no reasoning. Well, the thing is that they want the Tesseract. Okay, um, which is on Earth. I know that. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, but you, it's the MacGuffin of the movie. But Loki gets it. Yeah. Can't he just take it to those people and you're done with it? No, because he wants to hurt Thor. Okay. And but, Thor and Thor has. He's claimed Earth as his yeah, own. Yeah. So there, there's, there's a personal motivation behind it, as well as a we're going to destroy the world to be evil. Yeah, but more of we're just going to be evil. Yeah, I mean, thing. well, the thing is, the the problem with Thor and Loki it really goes back to to what you're going to look at with um, this this idea of Norse mythology because in the in the actual mythology and they carry this over into the comic books, Loki is not Thor's natural brother. They're not blood related, but Loki is adopted by Odin and is actually the son of a frost giant. And yeah. the the frost giants and the Asgardians are always at enmity. So the fact that Loki is is brought into Asgard is basically like bringing the snake into the garden. Right. He's always going to be seen in mythology as a character who's going to cause problems. Um, and he does that effectively. And, you know, the, the thing is Thor wants, in the movies, Thor wants his brother to be a character that's accepted and, and, and loved and everything like that. But he realizes uh, that his brother is a complete problem. Yeah. And it, put it lightly. Well, yeah. <laughs> in the movie, the movie, this is one of my biggest complaints about the movie. And some people will say, well, this is not a big deal. Shut up about it. And I've actually had people tell me this. But in one of the scenes, Thor says about Loki that he's he's an Asgardian and he's trying, you know, that he Thor, Loki is um their problem to solve, and, and humanity shouldn't look on Loki in the same eyes that they would look on at, at anybody else. And uh, Black Widow um, says to him, he's killed 81 people in two days. And he goes, well, he's adopted. And is played as... <laughs> adopted children are inherently bad, but allowed to be so. A little bit, oh, apparently. God. The thing is, I come from an, an adoptive family. Mm -hmm. I have two siblings who are adopted, and mm -hmm. I love them like nobody's business. Um, but, you know, the idea that you have this character 
who spent the, fir- the Thor- first Thor movie wanting his father's attention and everything like this and striving with his brother for attention from their father. And then he finds out that he's adopted. He goes off the rails because of that. So the entire message of the Loki character is that adopted children will not be loved by their parents and will not be treated with the same kind of respect as their natural siblings are. And that's just going to beget criminal behavior. Yeah, and not only that, but then it's something that's used as comic relief. Right, that's true. And and that's one of the issues with uh, old school comic book stories in general. They're very dated. They have very simplistic ideas behind them. And overall, I think the Marvel Universe has done a good job of updating to modern times in a lot of ways but that line in particular is something that really stuck in my craw i could see that and that's legitimate but in the beginning when you know loki shows up and starts kicking ass and taking names um you know nick fury's there and and loki takes the tesseract with him and, and he kills a bunch of red shirts right right and one of the things that really bothered me is Samuel L. Jackson's lack of response as Nick Fury to all these people being killed. Right. And mind-controlled. He literally tries to take the Tesseract and walk away while not even trying to defend anyone. Just, like, get the Tesseract and walk away. Which I can understand. Like, it's important to get that out of that person's grasp. But he does absolutely nothing. And he acts like he doesn't care. Because, what does he say? He's like, oh, this doesn't have to get any messier. And there's absolutely no sort of reaction to all these people that were just brutally murdered. Nothing. Yeah. um, He's just like, I don't care. That to me has always been something that's interesting because um, it didn't, it seemed like it was working in a hostage negotiation type of mode where, you know, when you're talking to to, uh, a a kidnapper or a bank robber who's got a hostage negotiation system in place, you're not going to say, we're going to shoot you or, you know, everything like that. You want to try and, you want to try and and keep the damage from growing from bad to worse. So that he has used the Tesseract to teleport into a secure government facility is bad. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that he's mind controlling people is bad. Essentially, what I felt like Fury was trying to do with this position was to try and, and lull him into a, a sense of security so that then they could subdue him and then reverse the problems that he had caused. But, but, he, but he didn't have anyone on his side at that point. Everyone was either mind-controlled or dead. Right. So it, it was just him not reacting at all to people's lives being taken. Yeah. I mean... Uh, and. For- and I don't know if that is the script writing or if that was Samuel L. Jackson. I think it was a little bit of that because the opening the opening scenes for me, that was what felt the most forced coming from Samuel L. Jackson was the way that he was handling the whole um, priority of, of this problem with the Tesseract starting to overload. Mm-hmm. Was It seemed like his character was just kind of going through the motions a little bit, you know, and then, and so then this gets the Tom, uh, Loki comes through and he, and starts doing horrible things. And he's like, Oh, well that, that happened, you know, but he, I, I think he was trying to yeah. down, downplay what Loki was doing. It's something similar to what Iron Man did later on in the movie by walking in 
to Avengers Tower wearing essentially nothing in terms of armor and facing Loki down face on. He was he was trying to, to cause a distraction. So I'm wondering if it might have tried to be a parallelism yeah. between the two characters, except Nick Fury doesn't have the charisma of Tony Stark to pull off that kind of de- uh, that decoy for yeah. other people to get away. That scene just didn't play well for me no, for not, that reason. Not very well. Um, but then the the cool stuff happens after you know the escape happens, and then you you gotta assemble the team now like yes. that. Is what people are looking for, like right. the cool thing, like oh yeah, here we go, putting the dream team together. We're gonna kick some ass. Um, so one of the things I really liked about the whole sequence of, of getting everyone together was when they went to Black Widow's scene, and it's a reverse interrogation for all intents and purposes. She is. It looks like she's being beaten on and interrogated, but you find out that she's exactly where she wants to be and she's playing like she's the victim yeah. so she can draw information out of the person. And this is part of this is part of the movie's great sense of humor. Because which is one of Joss Whedon's strongest suits in that he knows how to effectively work humor into a script. Yeah. yeah. Cuz cuz um Agent Coulson gets them to put him on the phone with Natasha and he tells her, look, we need you to come in. And she's, and she's like, I'm right in the middle of this. Things are going my way. Why are you pulling me out? But before that, yeah. the audience believes that things are going horrible for her. Right, exactly. It looks like she's going to die. It looks like she's about to get her, her tush handed to her. Yeah. And um, she just, he's like, well, we just need you, we, we need you to come in and, and help take care of the Tesseract. And so she, she's like, okay, fine. And she just totally <laughs> whips into ninja yeah. mode. Yeah. Um, Which is great. I mean, it's such a, an awesome, like, badass moment of the film. Yeah. It's fun, and it's funny, and it's it's great. And it, it's it's really great to see her fighting style, because she's very effective. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she's, it's it's a really well-choreographed scene, and it's just really enjoyable to watch. And then she just picks up her high heels, because she was in a cocktail dress. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the, like, the, the pre-story, I guess, is she had been pulled from a, from a party of some sort. So she picks up her cocktail heels or, or her high heels and walks away, and it just like nothing else had yep. happened. Yep. You know. Well, and as they go through all of these, it's it's great because, you know, I, I know there was a lot of hype around this film because people had seen, you know, Captain America movies, they'd seen, you know, Iron Man, they'd seen Thor. Nobody saw Hulk. <laughs> I did. Okay. Well, Jordan saw it, and just Jordan. <laughs> But um, it was a pretty good movie, actually. There was a huge, this huge buildup, and everyone was just like, "Oh man, this is gonna be so cool!" Because then, and in the film, when they're putting all the team together, mm-hmm. you have this sense of you know how who these superheroes are, you know how powerful they are on their own. Right. So you're like, "Oh man, you put them all together, this is gonna be so cool! It's gonna be so epic!" It's like. The components of Voltron coming together to form Voltron, and they're just like, yeah, now the giant monsters are gonna get it, and it's—I I don't know—it just has this awesome, awesome. It does. Moment. Well, and also it's kind of interesting to see because apparently the project that Fury wanted them to all be a part of, the Avengers Initiative, was actually shut down by the government. Right. So he's kind of acting a little bit on the rogue side here. Yeah, definitely. Um, which, which everybody, nobody knows that he's acting rogue at this point, and it, it leads to some great moments later on in the movies, 
when people start realizing things are not on the level with with Shield and with with Nick Fury. Yep. When they do the um, the scene for contacting Iron Man, it is awesome because it reminded me of how great his technology is and how fun it is to just see what technology they're going to put into the film for Tony Stark. Yeah. And that leads me to another thing, which is the CG in this is ridiculous. I mean, there are big budget films that have CG and they're done poorly. Yeah. Hunger Games being one. Uh, but this is a perfect example of a big, big budget film where they did CG the right way. There's, a, co- yeah, there's a couple moments where... Like, especially in the big battle scene, it looks like some of the stuff hasn't had uh, the full time to render. But other than that, everything looks fantastic. And yeah. uh, especially the stuff that they do for Hiddleston for as Loki, because they have him changing costumes and stuff in mm-hmm. the middle of scenes. And it's just like phasing in and out on him. And it's a fantastic look. Yeah, whoever, whoever, well, I'm sure there were like tons and tons and tons of people, but whoever yeah. was working on the computer graphics for this did a bang up job yeah. um, and they deserve to be commended I'll give them a round of applause here you know we talk so much about the limitations how limitations can make a film good uh, but I think this is an uh, this is a instance where you have to have the big budget to tell this kind of story yeah because the ideas are so grandiose yeah. and because it comes from a comic book mm-hmm. setting where they draw all sorts of crazy stuff, you know? And and one of the other things about this film to me is that I really thought about is there aren't that many films that allow the conflict to be on as large of a scale as it is in this film. Right. Which is like going throughout an entire city. Yes, they did in Transformers, but that was garbage. Uh, it was poorly done because you couldn't even tell what the hell was going on right. when they were doing it. It was so fast and crappy, and that's what Michael Bay does. He makes terrible films. I don't know if you can tell my true feelings on Michael Bay, but... No, tell me more about your feelings about Michael Bay. But in stark contrast to that, no pun intended, with Tony Stark, uh, Ah, winter is coming. uh, Is the Avengers, and they have this big scale fight that goes on in a city, throughout an entire city. It's like a half an hour long fight. But it's effective, and you know, you can tell what is happening. It's not... They're not doing cuts too fast. No. You have enough time to focus on what's actually going on. They, and they, they jump around enough to keep it interesting. They use the montage to keep it interesting, but they also do several long shots that are yes. just fantastic. Like, that show each character battling a different alien invader at, in different scenes. And that was a fantastic uh, like sequence where they're all fighting different things. Yeah. And it's like... They're jumping from from hovercraft to hovercraft, doing their their awesomeness and everything like that. The pacing is appropriate throughout it. In that part, yes. Yeah. Um, well, yes, because we did talk about how there are some pacing issues. Yes. Where there's there's too a little too much exposition in some portions. Once once you get the team assembled and you get them all onto the magical helicarrier. Everything slows down. Everything like slows down. down. It's it go, it goes from action movie to brooding. We're going to talk about our feelings movie, <laughs> and they don't really have a lot of feelings to talk about. They're just going to form a drum circle. And exactly. Get touchy feely. Now that's not exactly true because there there is one really good scene of exposition that happens in this part of the movie, in my opinion, and that's when. Uh, uh, <clears throat> 
Tony Stark and um, Bruce Banner actually are working in the lab together to figure out what technology Loki's spear is. Yeah, well, and that, that I think, was one of the first moments where you really see personalities come together yes. that are otherwise very different and could be at odds with one another. Right. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. But actually talking about Bruce Banner, um, when, they, when you, you first go to where Bruce Banner is, when they're going to... Black Widow's going to get him for the mission. And it seems like a really poor part of India. Yeah, yeah. So he's hiding out, basically. He doesn't want to be found. But the interesting thing is, there's this real, throughout a lot of the film, there's this real wait-for-it moment with Bruce Banner. It's like, wait for it. Wait for it. No, 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 no. He's not going to be the Hulk yet. No, 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 not yet. You just have to wait. And it's kind of like this... The viewer's like, when's it going to happen? When are we getting the Hulk? And it's this real kind of tease that goes throughout the beginning of the film. There is a bit of a tease, but also... The thing, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a great thing, because if 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 Bruce lets the... As the, he calls him, it seems... it's the, the interesting thing about the movie is that this is a movie, in my opinion, about the Hulk, Bruce Banner coming to grips with who the Hulk is and that that part of his personality was always there. You know, and that to me was something that was one of the significant high points of the movie was the treatment of Bruce Banner. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's there and he's he's basically kind of uh, f- trying to see where S.H.I.E.L.D. is on the issue. So he, he makes a very quick and overt threat towards the Black Widow. And so she reacts very quickly, and her her backup reacts very quickly as well. And then he's like, look, okay, now that we know where everybody stands, let's go ahead and do this the easy way. The part where you don't have to shoot me. And uh, But they, it doesn't, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, and the green explained. guy doesn't have to come out. Yeah, exactly. The, or as he refers to the Hulk throughout the movie, the big guy. The big guy, yep. Well, and... He's actually going to be a key component of the bad guy's mm-hmm. plan, Loki's plan. He allows himself to be captured, basically, in order to get get into um, Bruce Banner's head just a little bit and then allow crap to get crazy on the, the helipad. The helicarrier. The helicarrier, yeah. correct. And then that's when he's going to make his move and you know, do what he has to do. But... Um, I just thought the whole, the Bruce Banner tease of when's he going to hulk out, when's he going to hulk out was effective and interesting and yeah. cool. And But I do have problems with the actual Hulk in the film. And that is when he finally turns into the Hulk, it's on the helicarrier and yes. he goes nuts and he's fighting Black Widow. And then Thor's fighting him um, and it's just, it's a mess. Like he's just destroying things and he's, you know, trying to kill people who are on his side. Right. So you know that he can't control the Hulk. Now, later in the film, he has complete control over the Hulk. Which, not enough happens, in my opinion, between him not being able to control the Hulk and then him totally being able to control it to convince me that that's a realistic shift. The thing is, though, that in in the first part of the movie, you got to remember that he's under Loki's influence. And in the second part of the movie, 
With, without Loki's influence, he would not have done that. I don't think. I don't believe so. Because... Is that how it is? Yes. Okay. I, I didn't... There's nothing that happens that totally signaled to me that he was being mind-controlled. Yeah. Well, the thing was that they were all being mind-controlled when Loki was on the Hellcarrier. They all were under his influence. And he knew... It wasn't just that he wanted to get into Bruce's head. He wanted to get into all of the Avengers' head because he knew that their personalities, they're all do dominant personalities. Right. So he knew that all of them... But would be but he, he would, off each other. He was not actively mind controlling anyone. He was just planting the conversation pieces right. to get them to butt heads and come to blows. No, but but the spear in and of itself was the mind control device. It so was, it but was, it never touched anyone. It, oh wait, but it was, there, there was, was that point when Bruce Banner picked it up. Yeah, they're actively And he didn't know he did. Yeah, and they're actively studying it and they're actively analyzing it and they're in the same room with it. For all that time, if it's emitting some kind of energy, it's going to be affecting them. I would argue then that it wasn't clear enough yeah. in the film. Well, that's the thing. Comic book movies inherently are not clear enough. And this movie relies too much on your knowledge of the comic book universe and relies too much on your knowledge of the prequels mm -hmm. or the, the, the previous movies of the franchise to make you aware of everything that's going on. Well, based on what just happened, I think that anytime I'm going to watch a, a superhero movie, I need to have Jordan with me so that he can explain what I can't get from the film because it's not being yeah. explicit enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and the thing is, you said you've seen it twice. Yep. I've seen this movie five times. Like I've seen it twice times. and I never yeah. picked up on that yeah. either either time because it's not, there's, there's nothing, you really do have to read into it. Yeah. Yeah, you have to infer a lot. The thing, the the advantage of the comic book medium is that it allows you to have like a storyboard, but you can also add words, thoughts, and ideas to it, like you can in a novel. But you can't have the same kind of unless you do a voiceover, which is hinky. It's yeah. kind of it's kind of cheesy. You can't have that kind of interaction on screen that you do on the actual page. Right. So. I mean, you have to know the continuity, and you have to be able to look into all that, uh, and and know what's going on in the actual universe. Which is my biggest argument about the movie, because as a fan, I enjoy the universe, and I enjoy what's happening on the screen. And the Avengers movie was great as a fan in watching a movie, but as you're saying, someone who's not into comic books like I am, like right. a lot of my friends are, my dad. I love watching movies with my dad. Um, he's a great movie watcher. He enjoys watching TV shows like Sherlock with me all the time. But he doesn't get a lot of what's going on on screen. So it's like we're, we're pausing the movie and I have to explain a lot of it to him. If I have to do that as a fan, then the film... the. The movie makers are you have to decide: are they making something for a broad appeal to an audience, or are they making something for the limited appeal of the comic book right. reader? Now, obviously, they're making these movies to be enjoyed by everybody. Right. But they're not doing a good enough job of thinking outside of the comic book viewer readers' mentality because Joss Whedon wrote X Men for years. 
So he's a he's an established comic book writer, and he knows how that thing goes together. He's also working on well, he used to work on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic books right. as well. So he knows how to write comic books, and he knows how to work in long term established franchises. He worked primarily in television until very recently. So the idea of him writing a movie that has all of the exposition and ideas that you need to know to understand his work in one film is something that's kind of foreign to him. Even Cabin in the Woods, which you cite as a great movie, and I enjoy quite Love a bit it. too, but that movie relies on your knowledge of the horror genre to it be does. able to be effective. That's very true. That's very, very true. And we will get more into that when we do that right. for the podcast, because, man, I want to do that for the yeah. podcast. Such a good film. It's a good movie. Love it. Um, one of the things about the the, the budding heads mm -hmm. on, on the helicarrier... Um, one of my favorite instances of that was Tony Stark and Captain America. Um, and I thought it was so good because they truly are, personality-wise, polar opposites. Yeah. Captain America is this wholesome, old-school guy, and Tony Stark is this new-age, self-centered kind of jerk. But they're both there for the same reason. Right. And, you know, their back and forth was very well done. And I really liked when, when Captain America was just basically like, is everything a joke to you, um, to Tony Stark? Because he, that's true. Like, he yeah. always treats things as kind of like a joke. But I think it, that comes from, that's the way he self-preserves. Because otherwise, he's dealing with so much stuff in his life. He could die at any minute. You have to keep it light in yeah. order to not freak out or cry or whatever. Tony Stark is a functioning alcoholic with the world's most visible pacemaker. <laughs> um... That's a good way to put it. You, you know, he he's living on the edge for uh, the first two Iron Man movies, um, this movie, and then for the until the end of the last Iron Man movie, um, which I believe is the best movie in the entire Marvel franchise. I've not seen it. I would like to. It is it is an amazingly good movie. Okay. Again, it relies a cool. lot on the films that come before it, but it does a great job because. Tony Stark has an experience where he he actually almost does he does a suicide run. Hmm. Fortunately, he doesn't die in this movie. Of course, he's not going to die. He's I mean, Iron Man. No way. They got to make an Iron Man four. Exactly. They have to. So, but he's but in Iron Man three, he's directly dealing with the emotional impact of what happens in the Avengers. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, in terms of what happens when he goes out into space and everything like that, all of, the majority of the movie. Tony Stark is either in, not in armor or he's in armor that doesn't work properly hmm. in Iron Man 3. And that's a direct that's a direct physical example of his emotional trauma that he's going through because of what happened and coming to terms of what happened as being part of an adventure as yeah. the Avengers. Um, going back to the whole infighting ordeal. Yeah, I'm sorry. I keep on jumping. No, that's fine. Tangents. That's fine. I, I knew this would happen. Yeah. That's why. That's kind of why I picked it. I was like, I'm just going to pick this and just watch Jordan go crazy on the podcast. Have I you noticed that I like have like sped up the way that I talk? Oh, yeah. Like get it yeah. all in there. We're gonna fit it in. Okay. Um, <laughs> what What's really interesting to me, and I thought about this when I was watching the film, is how in these types of movies, there's always infighting amongst the heroes. And total cooperation amongst the bad guys. Yeah. It, it's it's this whole um, free will versus obedience yes. situation. And that just stood out to me. I was just like, oh, it's so interesting. Because because there's so much free will with the people who are 
the good guys, they are free to disagree with one another and have infighting and all that kind of stuff versus the bad guys are just kind of mindless drones who all yeah. operate under the mastermind. The, the, the Team Loki, for lack of a better term. Team Loki. I like that. Uh, they're all mind controlled. They're, they have no free will, like you just said. Um, whereas... But that's like... It's like that in a lot of films. Yes. Even when there's not mind control involved. Right. Well, I mean, that that's the thing of the assertive pack mentality. Yes. Is that... I'm the one in charge. You're going to do what I say until you until you can beat the snot out of me and take the iron fist right. from me. Then I'm the one who's in charge. Exactly. Yep. You know, and yeah. and it's very much a wolf mentality in that regard. Uh, the thing that that interests me about this um, is that you when when you're going through this, you find out that to, that. Nick Fury wants to use the Tesseract to 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 create weapons that were used by an offshoot of the Nazis that Captain America was fighting in World War II. Mm -hmm. He wants to use this technology to defeat the aliens, which is precisely why the aliens are coming because they want this technology for themselves. Right. Um, and and also, like I said, Loki has to piss on everything that Thor loves. So. <laughs> Obviously. Um, yeah. Team Loki, go. Team Loki. Activate. <laughs> um, I will form the head. But yes. it's like you have this interesting dynamic because the biggest the biggest infighting on their side is the idea that Nick Fury is is trying to push towards a more um, a more war on terror mentality and Captain America is trying to say no we hold these core values right. we need to trust people and I love Captain America because he's a character that I can identify with in a lot he's of ways. He's very wholesome. He's a very wholesome character and he's also someone who wants to do the right thing. Yes. Um, at all costs. At all costs. I mean the, the reason that he went into the super soldier program in the Captain America movie was not because he was tired of being a wimpy guy. He did that because he wanted to serve his country. And Captain America, Stephen Rogers, is kind of the epitome of what the greatest of generation was supposed to be. You know, so there and there's a time in the sixties and seventies where he gets very disillusioned with the way that the Nixon administration is running the country. So he takes off the Captain America costume and goes nomad. And, you know, so he turns his back on his country because he feels like his country has turned their back on the values that he was supposed to, to represent and the wholesomeness that he was supposed to represent. And you pointing out, you know, how he became the super soldier, it just made me remember another great aspect of the fight between he and Tony Stark, which was how Stark was, he's acting all high and mighty and right. just like Stark, you know, you're so cynical and you're basically a jerk. And Stark's like, look, you were genetically modified, basically. Right. You know, your superhero stuff was done to you. I created it myself. Yes. He's like, I create my technology. It's all, like, I'm a genius. I do all this stuff. It was just done to you and given to you. I worked for it. Yeah, basically. well, it was like that, that line that, that's famous in the movie where Captain America asks Iron Man, um, what would you be if you took off that armor? And he said, 
billionaire playboy philanthropist genius. Yeah, I love that line. That line is so great. And that is Joss Whedon. That is so Joss Whedon right there. His ability to write dialogue is ridiculous. I really respect him for that. Him and Quentin Tarantino are like the best at writing dialogue, in my opinion. Love it. They have a great voice. Yes, they do. Um, So one other thing that I wanted to talk about was the aspect of when they shot things at night. Like the fight between Iron Man and Thor. It's terrible. You can't tell what's going on. It's very dark. Get some lights somehow. Uh, They screwed up on that. There aren't many things that I think they really, really big time screwed up on. But I think that was actually a pretty big screw up. Yeah. Because you can't... it's, It's disorienting. It's confusing. You don't know what the hell's happening. Um, so that was a big screw up in my opinion. Well, and also the fact that one of them fights with lightning and one of them fights with basically arc reactor lasers. You've got this, the, and it's dark, it's dark. So all you're seeing are these flashes of light. Yeah. You know, so there's no real way that you can discern what's going on except when, when, uh, Thor decides to do his mighty hammer jump Yeah. or something like that. Um, another thing I wanted to point out real quick was the situation where Loki goes into that museum. Oh, that's a fantastic. And he shoves that device into the guy's eye socket, and it's implied that he's tearing the guy's eyeball out, basically. Yeah. But what it's really doing is um, transmitting the image to the piece of technology that Hawkeye has yeah. for a retinal scan. Um, that was really horrific. Like, very disturbing and horrific. But I guess, just because there's no blood shown, it's okay yeah. for PG-13. But I would actually argue that that is way too much for someone seeing a PG-13 to, to actually see. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you look at the Netflix, the Netflix recommendation, because they do that with every movie, and it's great for parents to be able to look at it. They're like, yeah, this is fine for kids who are 13. You know, um, it's like, I don't know, I mean, kind of digging somebody's eyeball out so you can scan it and transmit an image of it is kind of... Gruesome. Well, and the thing is, you know that's what's happening. Yeah. It, it's not subtle because you're hearing a noise that sounds like it being bore out. Yeah, and, of the and they're screaming, and yes. there's, you know, so I mean, if they had removed the sounds and like had just yeah, had, maybe. had like the classical score still playing over top, then it would have seemed like he was just scanning the eye. Yeah, then I mean, it. it would have looked painful, but it would have not been so as horrific. Yeah. yeah, and it, it truly, truly was. Yeah, I mean, I don't see that as being enough to to bump the rating up, but it's definitely a a step beyond what's normal um, and what's acceptable. And the thing is that people... uh, This is what frustrates me. People think of comic book movies and comic book characters as movies that are acceptable for Um, eight-year-olds. There have been so many times when I've been in the, the theater to see... A comic book movie, um, and there are crying kids in there. Yeah, and the problem is the, you know, there is no blood in the violence, and I think that's what everyone holds on to right. is that it's okay because there's no blood being seen with the violence. But these are like real life problems, you right. know. That obviously they're put in a very fantastical setting, but there are a lot of real life issues going into this, uh, into these films, and. They're not for kids to deal with. Right. So, yeah, I would argue that this stuff's not appropriate. And honestly, what I think they really should do with movies like this, go ahead, put gore into it, and just make it an R rating. The thing is, R ratings don't sell as well. Yeah, well. But, I mean, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 
in in a uh, more civilized era of comic book history, were they good for kids? Sure, absolutely. Right. And you, you could say that they were very waspish and they didn't show a very good that's true uh, image of the world in a modern in a in a postmodern context, multicultural, multicultural context. context. But what they did do was they did try to to enforce some sense of morality and some sense of values. Um, the thing is that that um, with with superhero movies now and superhero stories now, they recognize that the world is a morally ambiguous place. Yeah. Um, and they they do a good job of of putting that moral ambiguity into a lot of the stories. Not every story, because you do want some optimism in your world, um, but overall stories can be a bit on the darker side and culture needs to catch up with the idea that the funny pages aren't just for funny right you know um, anyway that's my own personal soapbox um comic books a few things i wanted to jump into we were running short on time which yes. i knew it would happen um one thing how is it that black widow knows how to use the alien guns like immediately because at one one point when they're fighting them she just picks one up and starts shooting people uh, the, the plot hole, small plot, small plot hole, small. But what I would what I would argue is that it's similar technology based off of what they have found previously, um, okay. because uh, if it's if it's based off of tesseract technology, then it would probably be similar. Okay, All right. yeah, I can see that. Um, I think they did a really good job with showing the impact on the actual people in the city when the fighting was that going That was on. good. That was very well done. And the great thing about that is it really raises the stakes for the audience. They because if you see the, the city getting destroyed, that's one thing because all you're seeing is structures. But when you see people almost getting hurt and the impact it's having on them and, you know, Captain America has to stop and save a bus of people, mm -hmm. uh, that really raises the stakes for the viewer. And also, I loved how the cops responded to Captain America. Yes. That was a fantastic They're like, scene. who are you? And then he, like, whoops some ass and they're like, we're going to do exactly what this guy says. Yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. But, I mean, that's how authority works. You show right. someone you know what you're doing, and they will listen to you. Like uh, Loki does. Uh, yeah. Right? <laughs> All the time. I know what I'm doing. Mind control. <laughs> now you're listening to me. Oh, yes. I know exactly <laughs> what you are doing. Yes. Um, oh, I had a few other things I wanted to throw out there. Um, uh, being a superhero is a very thankless job. Yeah. Ridiculously thankless. Um, yes. You're just expected to save everyone all the time, no matter what's going and on. And also, the life. paycheck sucks. There is none, <laughs> right, from exactly. what I can tell. Well, I mean, uh, Hawkeye, Captain America, and Black Widow are, are all on, on Shield's payroll. payroll. Okay. Um, and Bruce Banner is a, is an indigent. He just wanders around, so he doesn't really need that much money. And billionaire, billionaire playboy. Philanthropist genius. You got all the more money you want. Yeah. So, I mean, but for ordinary people, nine to five job superheroing is not it. But the idea of being selfless for other people and putting yourself out for other people, even in the smallest ways of just helping somebody, you know, is really inspiring and something that I, I try and bring into my life. True superhero. True superhero. Yeah, man. Um, also, the uh, I liked when the team was fully assembled during the fight, and they did this kind of the circular pan, and they're showing just everyone standing there. It's that moment where like everyone probably cheered in the theater. It's like, like oh yeah, oh yeah, now it's time. 
So that was good. Um, I also really liked when Loki was talking to the Hulk, and he's all like, I'm a god, and you are just a... And then he just grabs him by the face and whips him around and beats his ass. Very that, funny. That in the theater got the most laughs out I of bet anything did. in the entire movie. I bet it did. Yeah. But once again, not something for kids to see. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Um, and also the, the ultimate sacrifice moment with Tony Stark was very impactfully done. Yes. Uh, it was very it was very tense and gave you this feeling of like, oh my god, he might not make it. This was the part in the entire franchise when I truly believe that Tony Stark became a superhero. Okay. Because he was willing to to, to step up and put it on the line. Because everything that he did in the first two movies and for the most part in the in the last movie, except for dealing with his the the the, the PTSD brought about by his hero moment. All he was ever doing was cleaning up his own crap. True. You know, he wasn't doing anything for anybody else. He might have had a, a moment in the caves when he realized that he could do something greater for himself, for the society in the first movie. But really, all he was doing was cleaning up the messes of Stark Industries. You know, so this was the first moment that he actually stepped up and did something that nobody else could do to make sure that everybody would be safe. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point true superhero at that point and I think that that you don't really see anything after it but I think that's something that Captain America would really I think respect. Captain America probably gave him a handshake after yeah, that yeah probably um, and then the other thing my last thing I wanted to say about this before we can get to the ratings is I like the Stan Lee cameo he always has cameos in his original stuff yes um, he was just kind of like a person being interviewed at the end about how they saved everything, and he, he basically said something like, "There's no such thing as superheroes." There's no such thing as superheroes. <laughs> I love how Stanley—he's a crotchety old man, but he's a crotchety old man who does it well. Yeah, I agree. So that that was it for me. Uh, those awesome. were all, all the things I wanted to say about Avengers. Do you say everything you wanted to, or do we need another podcast? Well. <laughs> We'll just leave it at one. Well, there is another Avengers film coming out in the theater. There is. Age of Ultron. I'm looking forward to it. It looks like it's going to be completely different than the comic books, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, it should be fun. All right. Well, do we want to get to the race? Yes, let's go ahead. Do you want to go first? I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. This movie, like I said, the CG was done extremely well. Um, the script was quite well done. There were a few small things that were mess-ups, such as, you know, it wasn't very blatantly obvious what was going on on the helicarrier between everyone and the Hulk and all that stuff. Um, the night scene fighting was not so well handled. But other than that, obviously the acting is top-notch, the CG was top-notch, the fighting scenes were really well done, well-paced, um, dialogue was amazing, Joss Whedon did a great directing job on it. Um, all in all, I think everything went really well in this film and it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Um, I want to give it three and a half stars. Okay. I, w I am going to go ahead and, before I read my official blurb <laughs> that I put up... Disclaimer. Disclaimer. Um, this is not the rating that I would give it as a fan of the franchise. As a fan of the franchise, I'm, I would give it four and a half stars. Okay. Um, but uh, what I'm going to read depends very much on the individuality of this movie in and of itself. And I think that's the fair way to rate it. Yes. The Avengers is a film that stands on the success of the other films in the franchise. Marvel has taken the comic book format 
and has successfully adapted it to the large screen. So as a capstone for the franchise's first wave of cinema, it works perfectly. As a standalone film, I can't objectively say it stands on its own as a story, which makes me like it less. Uh, it has some wonderful performances, notably from Mark Ruffalo, uh, but the thought of watching two movies about Iron Man as well as a movie apiece for Thor and Captain America to prepare to watch this is mentally tiring. So overall, two and a half stars. Okay. Well, then I guess the official podcast rating is three stars. Three stars. Which is not bad at all. No. I mean, you blew Hunger Games out of the water. So Absolutely. <laughs> and like I said, we, we both enjoyed this movie. Um, yeah. If it if it had more individuality, I would have rated it much higher officially. But as it stands, I can't really the individuality of the movie is non-existent. So I have to I have to knock some points off for that. That's legitimate. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I think that pretty much sums up what we have to say about the Avengers. Uh, I'm sure when the Avengers Age of Ultron comes out on Netflix, we'll be sure to hit that up. Yeah, probably. Just yeah. like I'm waiting for the next Hunger Games to hit Netflix streaming, because we'll definitely do that. I want to crap on that yeah, one. Yeah, that one... That one. I heard it was, was actually better, though. It was a better movie. People were saying it was the Dark Knight of the... Of the but whoa, yeah, whoa. Yeah, yeah, it was... <laughs> Hold on there. I saw, it in, I saw it in theaters with my cousin, and it was all right. It was good. Um, it, it, it's gut-wrenching thinking about it, knowing that C Philip Seymour Hoffman passed yeah. right after like working on that. But yeah. anyway, Terrible. anyway, that's enough enough movie stuff for this week. Yeah. So let's go ahead and let's encourage everyone to stop listening to us right now and go watch your own movie. Yeah, and also let us know what that movie is and what you thought of it, and let us know if we should watch it as well. Thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production. 